2: idol and i don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same
0: motherfucking title but i
1: Let's talk about sex, baby. I guess you and me.
0: Yeah, probably should this be you is, this and This is me. a
1: one-way conversation. Like, people who are listening aren't allowed to contribute, so I guess it is just you and me.
0: I mean, maybe if you scream loud enough, we might be able to hear you. I'll give you a second. I didn't hear anything. I'm so it's, sorry. It's a
1: retroactive conversation. It's, it's the olden times. It's like a, like a pen pal.
0: <laughs> and that's great because this is a movie that takes place in the pre-internet era so look at look at us we're, we're thematically unbranded. god
1: the things that would have been different about this movie if you could just google i
0: know this entire movie wouldn't exist if google was you know a thing
1: yeah because like sure when we were in high school we could look up something like you know crap like a fucking dutch oven or a blumpkin These things nobody actually did, but, like, you could Google it and get an urban dictionary definition, and it wasn't the most helpful thing, but at least you had some information.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, it's sort of like in Yes, God, Yes, when she doesn't know what a rim job is. I mean, she doesn't know what a rim job is in this movie either.
1: It's when you get the rims of your car detailed. Sure.
0: (laughs) I'm I'm very sure that that's what that actually means. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Hello, prom party. This week, we are going into sex comedy land, and we are talking about Maggie Carey's 2013 The To-Do List.
1: Not often we get to do sex comedies on this show that don't involve boys.
0: It's not often that we do sex comedies on this show that aren't from the 80s. That, that is, yes, absolutely <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm really excited to talk about this movie. This is a movie that I feel is weirdly underseen. That certainly seems to be the
1: case. Um, at least one, I think two people put it in the suggestion box um so not a lot of people but some people have seen it I'm assuming retroactively
0: because Aubrey Plaza is a much bigger star now than she was at the time Mm -hmm. I think that's definitely part of it for sure for sure but this movie is going to be an absolute doozy to talk about because there's there's just so much to talk about um so Harmony I learned as we were watching it that I somehow didn't make you watch this movie with me by now?
1: No, you were really convinced that we had and just kept going, are you sure? And I go, no, I've seen scenes of this movie. I remember I've seen images and I've maybe seen like clips. I've never seen this movie.
0: Which is just, it was wow. Like I, once I had that realization, I was like, wow, I really felt like this is going to be on the list of movies that I would have shown you at some point. And apparently Apparently I didn't. I let you down. This is but one of those
1: classic, I failed you as a wife movies. I
0: failed you, I failed you as a wife. I didn't show you the to-do list. <laughs> I didn't show you Aubrey Plaza flicking the bean wearing a Clinton Gore shirt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is also a period piece. Uh, it is a movie set in the 90s, which it's very funny if you read interviews with Maggie Carey where she didn't realize that this was a period piece until she was trying to get uh, props and hairstyles and costuming for this and realized how many of the things she wanted, like that specific trapper keeper or a Ford Festiva with an automatic seatbelt. Uh, they didn't exist anymore. And yeah, yeah, when you track that down, it becomes a period piece. Yeah, and I think it, the movie is a lot better for it. I think so too. Absolutely. And one of the things that I also read in an interview was... Her understanding that, you know, technology has completely changed the landscape in the way that teenagers communicate, and I don't understand that world, so it would have been foolish to try to make a movie set in that world, so it was better for the story to be in the 90s, and like we said earlier, it, this movie wouldn't exist if you had Google, yeah. um, so <laughs> it's probably uh, for, for the best that this is a period piece, and it's... It's a lot funnier for that reason. Very bold of her to recognize that 10 years ago mm-hmm. when now
1: people are setting it in, like, different periods of, like, the 80s was the big one for a long time. Yeah. Like, Stranger Things made the 80s, like, the decade, but then you would even get, like, the licorice pizzas or whatever where it's like, oh, no, but we're making, like, art because it's a period piece, which means it has, like, more artistic merit and not we want to write a script where cell phones don't exist.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the invention of cell phones uh, were kind of a nightmare for storytelling because it's just too easy to, like, solve life's greatest mysteries by just Googling it.
1: Yeah, like, having all of the information at your disposal like that, Mm -hmm. it's just... God, it just fucks things up. Right. Then you have to start writing caveats of like, there's no reception. My cell phone is broken. You need to justify
0: not having it. Right, because the very first thing is some critic's gonna be like, "Mm, I don't believe this film because they could have just called a tow truck or whatever situation it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, this is
1: this is a movie where you can be the smartest person in your school and still be an idiot
0: (laughs) yes oh god and i love that so yes we're talking about the to-do list it is absolutely fantastic if somehow you have not seen it here is your synopsis feeling pressured to become more sexually experienced before she goes to college brandy clark makes a list of things to accomplish before hitting campus in the fall
1: that is a very vague way of putting it i suppose it is a to-do list um as you told me before we sat down to record Uh, This movie was a lot more direct with its original title of The Handjob.
0: Yes. So how this movie came to be is that it was originally called The Handjob. It is written by Maggie Carey, um, also directed by Maggie Carey. And this movie ended up on the blacklist. And if you don't know what that is, the blacklist is a list that comes out every single year where people in the in the industry name their favorite unproduced scripts. So scripts that they absolutely love, but they're not going to make for any number of reasons. Sometimes it's budgetary. Sometimes it's like, oof, we don't know if this is going to sell or this is too niche. Mm-hmm. And this ended up on the blacklist. Um, and then at the Austin Film Festival, which tends to favor a lot of screenplays, like they do a lot of celebration of screenplays, they did a panel on the blacklist and they invited Maggie to do like a live reading of this. So she brought in Aubrey Plaza because Aubrey Plaza was always supposed to be Brandi Clark. Um, and they brought in Bill Hader. Bill Hader was Maggie's at the time husband. And then they cast the rest of the characters with local actors from Austin. They did the, the live table read. It went over really, really well. Um, this is also pre-Twitter. So then a bunch of like bloggers were like, this movie's really funny. Somebody should make this. Mm-hmm. And because of that positive reception, CBS Films was like, yep, let's do it. And that's how this movie came to be.
1: Yeah, and and it's just a movie that a, a loud minority of people asked for, and those were the only people who went and saw it because this made movie made no money at the time,
0: which is such a shame because. In doing research for this, I I read a lot of interviews with Maggie Carey and I watched some video interviews as well. And people ask her like, well, what do you have next? And she's like, oh, I've got this script, but I can't really talk about it. Or, oh, I have this project, but I can't really talk about it. And she has gone on to do a lot of directing of television, um, a lot of it in like the world of comedy because that's very much what she's good at. She's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, But this is the only movie she's ever directed. And that really bums me out because... I think she is a fantastic director. This movie is so funny. It is so well directed. And the fact that she's not directed another movie is a fucking crime. Mm Mm-hmm. So this movie came out in 2013, which is a weird time period. This is a little bit of the dark ages. Yeah, it's a post-studio indie boom. Uh, Streaming is starting to really splinter off culture in a way.
1: We're going to soon be doing more things with streaming, but so far it's like in its infancy.
0: Yeah, we're we're not there yet. So what kind of context are you bringing to the table this week?
1: Because this is a a, a very dark period for your standard teen fare. Like, we'll say high school films. Mm -hmm. High school films are uh, struggling Mm -hmm. in the early 2010s because genre has uh, really, really taken the imaginations of of the youth. Mm -hmm. So we talk about this a little bit whenever we come around to, like, this period of time on the show. But the franchises of Harry Potter, The Hunger Games, Twilight, those are the bread and butters. The standard high school fare... Not not so much, but I'm, I'm going to dig a little deeper than we normally do. Okay. So we have our standard alum of, like, We Are What We Are and The Hunger Games Catching Fire, two extremely opposed films. Are just you
0: trying <laughs> to say that a big-budget franchise movie and one about cannibals is not the same?
1: Wildly different. The range of our show. <laughs> right. So th- those are what we've done because there's just not a ton of stuff going on this particular year. You have the genre fair and the adaptations of warm bodies, beautiful creatures, Ender's Game, the second Percy Jackson, the second Kick-Ass, and a little bit of, little bit of horror sprinkled in like like Carrie, mm-hmm. Kim- Kimberly Pierce's Carrie. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, to find films that made money is extremely difficult because I think the highest grossing standard teen film of this year was The Way Way Back, which made $27 million dollars.
0: Mm, that is um, a good movie though It is. That, is that is a Sadie Hawkins dance contender for sure
1: Absolutely But aside from that It's a lot of movies that uh, didn't cost much And didn't make much So some of your bigger releases And that's with a big asterisk Are like The Bling Ring And Gay Best Friend Both movies Things that we'll do here We'll absolutely cover that on the did show did not make money <laughs> um, If you want a, like a successful teen girl film For theaters Two of the biggest ones are both the Justin Bieber and One Direction concert films. Mm. Those are some of the bigger teen releases for, for girls mm-hmm. in this era that are not, like, a blockbuster. And unfortunately, blockbusters and just about everything else crowded out the to-do list because it, granted, didn't have most of the month to make its money, but it also, I think, only made about $3 million total. Mm-hmm. It finished 26th in the Oof. month that it came out. Oof. Getting beat by uh, numerous, numerous films that just obliterated during the summer movie season. Weirdly enough, Aubrey Plaza lost to a film that she is also in, which is Monsters University. Oh,
0: God. I mean, yeah, Family Fair is... Usually a guaranteed to do well up until very recently. I mean,
1: Despicable Me three made like three hundred million dollars. <sighs> yeah,
0: those fucking minions, man. Yeah, People the the love rise the minion. of
1: minions. It's <laughs> not the rise of Gru. This is where the rise of the minions were starting. Yeah, it really one was. successful. Two, it's not a fluke anymore. Yeah. But um, yeah, it just just about everything was beating it because it's it's July. It's a very competitive time. So I can't exactly tell you why this movie didn't do well. The trailer is pretty faithful to what it is, mm-hmm. I think. I If I had to come up with a theory, um, lack of marketing and the fact that this is kind of uh, something that's Apatow-esque, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of, uh, of, of this era. And Superbad came out like six years ago. Even if this is something new because it's focusing on like a girl in a way that a lot of those movies don't. I think just the subject matter may have been a bit tired by this time, and it just didn't really excite people.
0: There's also the fact that this is an R-rated movie, um, which yeah, but, is going to... This
1: is a time of R-rated comedies that generally do do well.
0: This is true, but there's there's a couple things to to keep in mind with that. Is that one, it is difficult with R-ratings just kind of in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is also a woman-led sex comedy. Yes. And the unfortunate reality that we talk about all the time is that there are not going to be a lot of men who are going to willingly want to go and see this. And when I say men in this, I'm specifically talking about, like, teenage boys. Mm -hmm. Like, teenage boys are not going to want to go see this movie. They will absolutely go out in droves to go see a super bad type movie. They're not going to go see the to-do list because they can't see themselves in this movie. They're seeing themselves... As objects in this movie. So if a girl wants to go see this and she wants to like, you know, hey, honey, let's go to the movies. Let's go see this. Chances are he's going to say fucking no because dudes are pathetic when it comes to this shit.
1: Which is interesting to think about because maybe it's just the people I know like anecdotally because I had keep good company. But like I know so many dudes who watched movies either in the theaters or on like Cinemax or something growing up that had female leads but they generally walked away with going like, oh, that part and just one of the guys where she shows her boob. Mm-hmm. So there there was- I like a... how you
0: said shows her boob. Like only one boob yeah. is
1: shown. <laughs> where do you get off having tits? Plural.
0: <laughs> where do you get off having tit?
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I think there is something about watching it when it's just sort of presented to you at home versus catching it in the box office. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think it is an interesting parallel that we are here 10 years later now and Uh, One of the reasons that we did this aside from it being in the suggestion box is that No Hard Feelings is out Mm -hmm. with Jennifer Lawrence and people are excited about it. Mm -hmm. I'm hearing very good things for like an R-rated sex comedy with like female star power and like that's cool.
0: Yeah, so it's it's twofold. One, No Hard Feelings is out, and everybody's like, oh, finally, the return to like the studio sex comedy. Um, also, Joyride is out, which is also a studio sex comedy, and like a road trip movie thrown into one, so things we really haven't been seeing for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also the 10-year anniversary of this movie. Yeah. So we're looking at this movie a decade later, and I also think that in 2013, the the wave of feminism we were in, we were in third wave, we're starting to creep up on what we're kind of considering fourth wave. The, the distinction of like when fourth wave starts is something. The prominence something,
1: of internet feminism. Yeah, we're
0: not going to be able good to, and bad. to dictate like the exact date of the start of fourth wave until like much later in life when we can really, really assess this in hindsight. Mm-hmm. But it's this weird middle ground that's happening where we're kind of recovering from like the girl hate of the aughts, but we're not quite there yet. There's still some bleed over. So a girl who is like sexually forward or sexually confident, like some people are, like hell yeah, girl, get it, and some people still are very much like, all right, slut. Well, like th- there, that's where we are.
1: There's that. I think also during this era, um, this is actually this is actually interesting to bring up for more than one reason. Is that the feminism that we're taking that is taking shape. During the first half of the 2010s, is girl boss feminism. Mm-hmm. That's what the new form of it is. And um, I'm curious to see how history is going to treat a Leslie Nope as time goes on. Right. Because Parks and Rec was like successful, not huge. It did extremely well once it hit like streaming and people could binge it and rewatch it like they do with like The Office and mm-hmm. Friends and shit like that. But Leslie Nope very much is like the white girl boss feminist.
0: Oh, 100%.
1: And everyone loved her. But now we're kind of like hitting a point where it's like, mm, she really liked Joe Biden a little too much.
0: <laughs> right. Right, right, right. And I mean, it is important to note that The success of Parks and Rec is also partially how they were able to make this movie because now Aubrey Plaza is not just some, like, niche comedian girl who is doing, like, web videos. She's not just
1: a funny weirdo in Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Right.
0: Like, she's on one of the biggest, like, mainstream cable comedies that Mm -hmm. exists. So that was also very helpful. Bill Hader is also – him being part of it definitely did not hurt. I will say that something that made me very, very uncomfortable is – in looking for interviews and press tours and whatnot, there are so many interviews for this movie where it's Maggie Carey and Bill Hader. And I understand why. I mean, they were married at the time. Bill Hader was a very recognizable face. But it is very frustrating because it seems like a lot of publications were not willing to just talk to Maggie Carey. The writer and director of this movie, they're like, oh, we also need your famous husband here. Otherwise, no one's going to pay attention. And do I believe that, you know, that's true? That there are people who are going to be like, I don't know who this is and not pay attention? Yes, totally. People Mm -hmm. probably saw Bill Hader and went, oh, what's this about? Well, that's kind of cool. He, He not only does
1: he have a name and a face... But he has the success that right. she doesn't have yet.
0: Right. So I I understand why from a practical standpoint. And I'm sure that there were people who sought this movie out because of his role in it. However, it then becomes kind of a monkey's paw situation because then there are so many people that probably were like, Oh, well, the only reason she's getting to direct this movie is because she's Bill Hader's wife. Mm-hmm. When in reality... She has been working in comedy as long as he has. Mm-hmm. Like, she's got an incredible resume and is very fucking good at what she does. So it's just, you know, it's just sexism. Like, and frustrating yes. sexism. That,
1: that's the story of everything about this movie.
0: Yes. Everything. It's just frustrating sexism. <laughs> um, and, you know... Something that I want to kind of address up front um, before we go into this is that, you know, Bill Hader and Maggie Carey are no longer together. From everything that I've read, they had an amicable separation. Um, you know, Maggie Carey did direct an episode of Barry, which is, you know, his show after that. It came out after they were already divorced. Mm-hmm. So it seems like they're still like good. They, they, they have to co parent three kids for Christ's sake. Like they seem to be fine. Um, but there is another relationship that came from this movie which is Bill Hader and Rachel Bilson, and we will talk about that later. So just understand that like we are not going to gossip about the personal lives of celebrities or people that we don't know because it's fucking gross, Um, but we will mention things that have to do with these people in real life because it makes sense in the context of the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of those things that I'm going to bring up because it deals with the context of this movie is Aubrey Plaza at the MTV Movie Awards. Uh, because this was during the promotional uh, part of the tour for this movie, where Aubrey Plaza came to the MTV Movie Awards. She was rumored to be drunk and or on drugs. No one seems to be quite sure. She had written the to-do list on her chest uh, in what looks like Sharpie or eyeliner. Still not sure. And Will Ferrell was receiving a Lifetime Achievement Award, and she ran on stage to sort of take his award kind of like the Kanye Taylor Swift thing, but she didn't actually say anything and she wasn't wearing shoes and she just kind of like went to do something. It didn't work. And Will Ferrell was like, what are you doing? Are you okay? And then she went back and sat down defeated and embarrassed and shook her head. And then MTV escorted her out of the award ceremony and Will Farrell was talking on record. He's like, I don't know what that was. Uh, MTV tried to say it was staged to try to like, cover their own ass, but it very clearly was not mm-hmm. staged. And Aubrey Plaza, to this day, her only real acknowledgement of it is that she had tweeted that night like, hey, thanks for the advice, Kanye. And she was very clearly joking. And that's about it. But it was a very weird situation where everyone was like, what the fuck is going on with Arby Plaza why does she have writing on her chest I don't understand this
1: this is one of those stumbles that taught her how to be a properly chaotic weirdo
0: yeah so I'm not going to say that like that moment hurt the, the box office revenue of this movie because I highly doubt anybody was like well I was going to see the to do list but after I'm that I'm going to
1: protest this because you <laughs> yeah. made Will Ferrell go what
0: yeah like, that, <laughs> that, is, that is not a thing but it was a very weird thing and now, whenever people talk about the list, every once in a while, somebody will be like, "Was that the thing that she had like written on her chest at the MTV Awards? What was that? What was that about?" And mm-hmm. it's like, I, I don't know, man. I don't think I don't think she knew knew what that was about either. Um, so that's is a weird thing that happened that certainly didn't help the movie's case by any stretch of the imagination.
1: It was it was conceived that it would.
0: Yeah, it just it was weird. It was um. a really weird thing, and. Um, Yeah, I don't, again, I don't want to, like, speculate on what the fuck was going on with her at the time. Because I don't know. I don't know her. We're not friends. She's a celebrity. I'm not going to be parasocial and weird about this. But just know that that also happened in the lead up leading up to this movie. And everyone was like, what the fuck is happening? Mm -hmm. So with that out of the way, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show.
1: Happy July prom party. Quick announcement, for those of you who like to listen to the podcast over on the Stitcher platform, I'm sure that you probably have noticed this already, but Stitcher is going away after July. If you want more information about how that relates to our show, we made a post about it that is free to view on our Patreon, and it goes into far more detail about it. Also on the Patreon, things that you can look forward to this month, are City Hawkins Dance Teen Boy Movies, two excellent films this month. We're doing... Orange County, and Stand By Me. For our Molly Tier patrons up at the highest level, we are unfortunately done with Freaks and Geeks and now moving on to My Soul Called Life, which I have watched precisely none of and know virtually nothing about, so this will be a very enlightening experience, basically like how everything on this show is. And for Musical Milestones, we made a promise about a year ago when we launched it that we covered MySpace... Once, we're coming back to talk about MySpace emo bands and the unique relationship they had with teenagers and teen girls in particular. Aside from all the mini-episodes, you also get the benefits of access to our suggestion box, the monthly playlist and newsletter, and obviously the extensive back catalog of previous releases that we have on the Patreon. If you're not able to, like, fiscally support the podcast, obviously, we totally understand. As always, just know that the best thing you can do to support a show is to share it, rate it, review it. Just let people know that you love us and you think that what we do is great. It goes just as far as your dollars do. Thank you. And now back to the movie.
0: All righty. So... Arby Plaza plays Brandy Clark, valedictorian, president of the mathletes, and all-around Type A girl. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about Brandy?
1: She is not making a good first impression of this movie mm-hmm. because she is so um, persnickety mm-hmm. and particular, and high-strung and unfun in like the first thirty minutes of this film, and. I was a little, I was a little unsure about how I felt about this movie until it started to like pick up steam. But she, uh, the version of her that went through four years of high school and presumably all of grade school to, up to that point, she is not pleasant.
0: Right, I love she is dreadful. I love this character so much because I think a lot of people know this type of character where she does have a little bit of Tracy Flick in her in that she's insufferable and overachieving. She's not plucky like Tracy. But she's not plucky. Like, she's she's rude. She looks down on everybody. She has no interest in everybody else because she thinks they're all a bunch of fucking losers. And to some extent, she's right. Uh, But her being so consumed by all of that has made her very unpleasant Um, because what you're getting is the... Blunt no nonsense, go fuck yourself energy of Aubrey Plaza, but paired with being an insufferable know it all, which like gives you this magic combination of like, oh my god, I fucking can't stand you. Yeah. Um, and you know, so that gives us a great starting point for her because obviously she she softens a bit around the edges as she goes down her to-do list mm-hmm. and when she becomes a human when she, she just becomes more grounded and you know she becomes more worldly um, and i i love that they open with her being some kind of so noxious mm-hmm. like they introduce her in the very first scene of like here's our valedictorian give the speech and everyone's clapping and she's basically like please be quiet like i don't got time for this i got i got shit to do mm-hmm. and i love that or um, you know right after graduation We have Johnny Simmons, who, look, I love Johnny Simmons. He pops up a lot on this show. Johnny Simmons as Cameron, this is my favorite performance of his in anything he's ever done. He's precious. He's so good, and he clearly has the world's biggest crush on her, and her sister, Amber, played by Rachel Bilson – Also, my favorite role she's ever done is giving her shit about like, yeah, you and Cameron are, you know, so in love or whatever. And Brandy's like, (laughs) we're just friends. Our relationship is just platonic and professional because we're science. God, I hate you. And he's just like so crushed about Uh it.
1: They're just study buddies.
0: Oh, my God. They're so funny. Um, But yeah, so Brandy's like really, really harsh, but she also has really good friends. She's got her core group of friends that she's been with forever. So Ali Cat as Fiona and Sarah Steele as Wendy. I think they're also some really great best friend roles. Uh, I wish we had a little bit more of them, but uh, I understand why we only get what we get. They have to have a fight and
1: go away for so that they can have a reunion with Wind Beneath My Wings. With
0: beaches, duh.
1: I I I've, I've never seen Beaches and I was like, BJ, what's the deal with beaches? And also I confused it with mermaids. Um, yes, different gay icon in this one.
0: <laughs> yes, Bette Midler and Beaches, <laughs> Sharon Mermaids. Um, but yeah, it's it's a nice little world because I feel like very quickly this film sets up exactly who each player is, how they interact with each other. Like it's really, really smart how effortlessly this movie is like, here's here's who your players are and here's the world that they're in and you get it immediately.
1: It's also nice that it sets it up so effortlessly and it does it it spares the uh, clumsy quick introductions of like god sis. Yeah. <laughs> it just it all feels extremely natural. Um, I think particularly with the two sisters, I think that Amber and Brandy are so good and so mean together.
0: I this is one of my favorite like sister combinations. If you've heard our Sadie Hawkins dance episode on the Patreon about just friends. A million years ago. A million like, years I think it was ago. This is like the third one we ever did. But talking about the brother relationship in Just Friends between Mike and uh and Chris Brandner in just friends that is brandy and amber clark for me in this Mm. where they are so different polar opposites um but they clearly love each other because they're sisters but they also give each other endless shit everyone's gonna be a little shit in the meanest ways possible but it's done with love Mm -hmm. like when they're calling each other horrible names um but when they're yelling at each other or even when they're fighting while they're on the phone with cameron um their, their banter is incredible, and Rachel Bilson is such a great bitchy older sister. Mm-hmm. I love her.
1: Yes. So I actually had a conversation about this the other day at work because um, I, I work at Vidia. It's, it's a movie theater and video rental store. We were talking about, like, what do we want to do for, like, big things? Like, what, what Halloween movies are going to show in October? What Christmas movies? And I was like, well, I mean, I don't know if anybody will turn up for it, even though there's the comedic genius of Anna Ferris. But Just Friends is probably my favorite Christmas movie. And someone was like, oh, yeah, I like that. Except, like, it feels really weird and poorly aged because, like, they, they like, say gay slurs to each other on the phone. And I go, no, I need you to understand here. I need you to understand that is such brother bullshit behavior. Mm-hmm. This is such sister bullshit behavior in a way that I go, I recognize this from my friends and how they interacted with people. It feels so sincere and genuine.
0: It, it, yes. And it has the sister relationship of like, I can make fun of my sister, but you cannot make fun of my sister. Mm-hmm. That energy I love so much. And a lot of times in sister relationships in movies, it's twofold. Either they really, really get along and it's like, my sister is my best friend. Or the animosity is like very catty and mm-hmm. mean spirited. It's not mean spirited in this. Like, well, it's mean, but like, there, there's a warmth behind it because one second it's like, shut the front door, Amber, I hate you. And like the next minute it's like, okay, I'm taking notes. Thank you for educating me on mm-hmm. what an uncircumcised dick is. Got yes. it.
1: <laughs> so I think what we usually see once it gets to a certain level of cattiness is distance. Mm-hmm. And the movie portrays that distance in, like, will you say, Wish Upon a Star? Yeah. Where they don't talk to each other. They don't get along. They're really, really not close. Physically, yes. they are as far away from each other as they can possibly be, as are they emotionally. Mm-hmm. But you're like two doors down in a house. Mm-hmm. You can't actually be that far. You're forced to be surrounded by the person. Yes. So I feel like this is such a more authentic way of looking at that. Mm hmm. And this This works for me, like especially for its era i I don't know how teens and and siblings work now. I feel like they're not as mean as they used to be mm-hmm. but yeah, no this this feels lived in, yes, this feels like a relationship that has grown and evolved over their whole lives, and now we're here,
0: yes, oh my God, yes, I agree completely. And I love that the familial unit also includes Connie Britton as Miss Clark and uh, Clark Gregg as Judge Clark. Uh, So, Connie Britton, who I just love in everything, is the very like understanding, empathetic mom. She's really supportive. She gives
1: lube. She talks about sex.
0: She's very like matter of fact with her kids. She's like, I want them to be responsible. I want them to have this. And then, Judge Clark is way more uptight. He is so like terrified of sex, does not want to have this. And I love that he's. The dad in a house of all women, mm-hmm. because that is my experience. Well,
1: especially for, um, he's a judge, just he's conservative in all natures. Right. But I think there's something about just the uptight dad surrounded by girls and. Especially if he's like a, like kind of a macho dad. Like he's, he's in a, he's in a position of authority. Mm -hmm. Like he's a pillar of the community. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet he still has to worry about seeing bras in the laundry.
0: Right. Okay. So (laughs) (laughs) this is one of those like weird personal anecdotes that like speaks so deeply to my relationship with my own father, because like my dad was not nearly this uptight uh like he knew that i was sexually active it was just like we're just not talking about it kind of situation he knew we just he just was not talking about it but like i know that it made him uncomfortable to like see how big my bras were (laughs) growing up because i have huge yabos like that's just how i'm built yeah and it is such a weird thing for him to have to unpack of like god get this fucking away from me like i don't know i don't i don't know and it was just like, oh, I'm sorry, man. It's very or like, much how
1: the dad in this movie. is. Yeah, it, where he's like, d- I'm uncomfortable, but like, your mother, your mother gave you the lube, right? Okay.
0: Yeah, my dad just like he does not have nearly as many hangups as as this this guy does because obviously we have the great conversation of like. Um, you know, your mother saved it for me, and then she's like, No, I didn't. Like, I did not. And he's you like, just like, what? what? And like, he's like so heartbroken, and it's kind of sweet. Oh,
1: um, so, so, hold yeah. up. so speaking of people saving things, BJ, would you like to talk about the discovery of numbers that we had recently? Just because it's really funny. <laughs> I mean,
0: sure. You have to start because I'm laughing too hard.
1: So, um, we were watching something. It was, a, we were, we were, there was a post going around Twitter or we were watching a movie or something and people were talking about body counts. And I'm like, I don't know what qualifies as a body count. Once you get into like the nitty gritty of gay sex, it's like, well, do fingers count? Like, right. Is does it, mouth is stuff it, count? Is it enough to get a president in trouble? Like, is that technically sex? It gets into, like, a weird territory when it's not purely, like, I'm sticking a penis into a vagina because, like, the back door is still your virgin in the eyes of God Not or the back
0: door. Never the, the back, back door. door. There's some doors we don't open. Yeah, so <laughs> we had
1: to think about this, and I'm like, I have no idea what mine is. And BJ sat down and worked out the math, and she's like, oh, my God, I think you're number 36. And I'm like, oh, dude, it would have been so much funnier if I was 37. <laughs> Cause then it's like clerks. And then you like re-went over your numbers and started fucking cackling to yourself after like 20 minutes and went, I forgot someone, you are 37. <laughs> and then I'm just like trying not to suck any dick on the way to work today. And you go, Oh yeah, um, not even gonna count that. That number's way bigger. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we were cracking up once. I was like, "Oh my god, I really, we, I hit my Kevin Smith number." It's we really 37. fucking clerksed
1: our way into that, huh? <laughs> just perfectly.
0: <laughs> and because like Harmony and I are boring monogamous people, like she's forever gonna be thirty seven. Like I capped out, and oh, uh, I like I don't know. Part of me wants to just like meet Kevin Smith one day and be like, "Hey, by the way." This is hilarious. Thank you for this. It's my favorite new joke in my marriage. I appreciate it. He
1: would probably think it's hilarious.
0: (laughs) I would hope so. (laughs) Kevin Smith's
1: got a great sense of humor, right?
0: Yeah. Oh my God. I'm sure he would love to hear about
1: our sex life.
2: I lost my virginity when I was 15. 15? No, actually 14 with Francois. Our exchange student? Mm Mm-hmm. But he was so rude. He always played his stereo too loud and he never let me in his room. Touché. Yeah. He had a big dick. Francois, you know, sex wasn't that bad, but it really didn't get good until sophomore year. College. Okay, that makes sense. You're more mature. High school. By then, the guys had cars. We would park at Beaver Creek. Do people still do that? Go to Beaver Creek to fuck? How would I know? (laughs) Oh shit, right. Virgin! (laughs) Man, it feels good to finally be smarter at something than my kid sister. Loser. Seriously, you want to pop that cherry before you get to college. Before? Why? Okay, how can I put this in terms a mathlete would understand? Yes, please put it in terms a mathlete would understand. I'm fucking trying, okay? Freshman year is like one big sexual pop quiz. You need to do your homework. Homework? Yeah. God, it's crazy freshman year. I fucked my RA the first week. Man, I wonder what she's up to. Was it a girl? Yeah. Oh my God, I have a lot of work to do.
0: Speaking of, like, numbers and lists, like, that's what this movie is about, is Brady going on this sexual exploration of, like, doing everything that she's not done before so that by the time she gets to college, she knows what she's doing. And she just writes down stuff. Very, um... We'll she's very pragmatic about it.
1: True. We'll, we'll say some of these are very, uh, teen boy.
0: Oh, like, yeah. When I say
1: Blumpkin, I'm not f- too far off with Pearl Necklace here.
0: Yeah, I mean, she's talking about rim jobs and teabagging and, British. like...
1: pearl necklace must it sounds elegant
0: (laughs) right like all these things where it's like you don't need to know what that experience is like
1: motorboating yeah you don't need to do these things like you can I guess right
0: and something that I do like is that she has this long list and we only see her do a couple of them because I think in another movie it really would be like every single thing on the list and we would see all like 37 or whatever It would have been a montage
1: set to Blink-182.
0: Right. It would have been something like that. And I
1: guess this is growing.
0: (laughs) But I'm glad that that's not what this movie does and instead we just see her do what she does when she does them. Yeah. And I think that that is very, very smart. So her first like big thing that she does is she gets finger banged finger-blasted, finger-bombed uh, by Cameron at a party while she's wearing a skort. <laughs> and there's a such gr- an
1: ugly skort.
0: <laughs> it's so atrocious because it's denim and it's 90s. and The it's 90s l- were not a good time period for skorts. It's
1: the worst kind of skort.
0: It's, the kind yeah. of skort that
1: doesn't go around to the back. Right. So it's pure, it's shorts from the back, but from the front it's a skirt.
0: <laughs> it's like shorts with a modesty panel. Yeah, yes.
1: <laughs> I hate that. That is the worst kind of skort.
0: Yeah. Uh, and it's her, she chooses him first – um, not because like she's particularly into Cameron, but because Cameron spills on himself and then double washes his hands and she's like, oh, well then I know they're clean. You've
1: got clean fingers, Though I did not see him clean under his fingernails.
0: I did not either. But I feel like Cameron's just like naturally a clean kid.
1: Yeah. Is a, uh, I believe this is also the scene where she just tells things like, I'm wet. I'm fucking wet. Just do it. <laughs> yes. Because her friends are like, be sure to tell men. That you're wet because they love hearing that. Right. <laughs> Which like, oh my God, it's, was this ever a thing for you where like, this was not so much of a thing for me. I, I would embellish a little bit for the mm-hmm. benefit of some people where I'm like, I'm feeling this, but I know you'll be, you'll be more responsive if I'm a bit more vocal, you know, oh, things like absolutely. that. Absolutely. Like, oh yeah, right there. And it's like, well, I mean, a little to the left, like just give, give them feedback of things as we go along. But particularly for women, I think that they learn what to say based on guys' who have watched porn and know what they want to hear so it's like pavlovian
0: I think it's a combination of a couple of things like one it's pavlovian in that like when you watch porn because it's so much porn is made with men in oh, it's mind the male gaze. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so even if you are not a man um you do kind of absorb some of that information and it's like straight men love the under
1: the ball cam (laughs) i don't know why
0: it's like yeah but you want to like you know do this or whatever but there is so much like placating male ego involved Mm -hmm. in a lot of like oh my god you're so
1: big oh my god i'm so wet yeah a lot of that kind of a lot Ah, of that kind of bullshit fuck me deeper
0: yeah like that (laughs) stuff i think because you're placating the male ego and the problem is like it works a lot of times where, like, you're like, oh, you want to kind of get this done and over with. So what do you do? Uh, you say things that's going to make them come faster. <laughs> um. I mean, it's also just like if you're playing into
1: a scene and y'all everyone's just playing their roles, that's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're in the moment. You know, we're going along. We're doing our thing. Fine. But, like, <laughs> there cannot be dudes out there that think that every woman is going to go, like, Fuck this cunt! Right, (laughs) every single time you have sex with them, like, oh my god, my dirty fucking like. No, most women don't aren't like that. Like they are in porn,
0: right? And like, don't get us wrong. There's nothing wrong with dirty talk. Like dirty talk. No, dirty talk's
1: fine. It's just most women don't do that every time they have sex. Right, like in porn, and guys. Who don't know that it's a problem.
0: Yes, exactly that. Like, when, when it becomes an expectation and not, like, a fun thing that you do together, that mm-hmm. becomes annoying. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, so she gets finger-bombed, as she calls it, by Cameron because he I, – I don't think getting fingered underneath your squirt is – that's not the, not the best fingering well, position. She, I mean, yeah, he washed his hands, but he's also
1: – if she's not actually wet and he just, he just dried his hands out, then you're just getting a fucking raw thumb –
0: Mm-hmm. Uh huh. That's not good. No. And also, she's yet to like really explore her own body yet. She doesn't know what feels good. She doesn't know what she likes yet. Mm-hmm. Um. And it is also important to note, like I kind of skipped over this. Um. When she kind of makes this decision of like, this is what I'm gonna do, it's because she sees a hot college guy at a party and is like, oh, I want to lose my virginity. This guy, like, I'm gonna fuck this guy. That's that's my goal by the end of summer.
1: Rusty Waters. Uh, rusty Waters. Rusty Waters in 1993. Doing a uh, an acoustic party version of Pour Some Sugar on Me,
0: the sexiest of all songs, of course. Yeah, but it's like
1: (laughs) Def Leppard was not a cool band in 1993. You are getting by on the good graces of a strong jawline and a good haircut. Yes, and he's also got like sick abs. Yes, but like you're a handsome man, and you're fine your song selection is weak but at least it's not wonderwall because that's not out yet right
0: (laughs) that's another thing this movie is really good about making sure that it stays in its time capsule oh yeah so Um, much naughty
1: by nature yeah
0: for the good and the bad i mean like me so horny by two life crew is what opens the movie Mm -hmm. and like that song has like there's so many multiple truths you have to hold at the same time with that song because one like it's unquestionably a fucking bop Uh, two it was such a very important like filthy like dangerous song in the 90s it's also incredibly racist because it's like there there has been so many think pieces about specifically just the line of like Me Love You Long Time and, like, how that's bad. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll put that in the show notes (laughs) if you want to read about that. Um, So, like, this movie is so painfully 90s in the good ways and the bad ways, which I appreciate because it's not trying to paint, like, this faux-nostalgic image of this time period the way something like A Stranger Things often does with the 80s. This is like, no, the 90s were awesome but also terrible, and here's why. Well, weren't you telling me before we
1: recorded that – a lot of the dialogue from this is specifically following, like, diary entries so that, like, the verbiage and the colloquial is correct.
0: Yes. So I read an interview that Maggie Carey did with, I think, Vulture, where she was talking about, like, making sure that the, the lingo and the jokes and the references were all accurate. She went back and looked through her high school diaries. And the interviewer was like mortified, like, oh my God, I would never want to go through that. I sometimes find it like really frustrating to see what I was like as a teenager because, you know, you have to accept that you probably sucked. Um, Mm -hmm. And her response was, I love it. I didn't find it frustrating. I liked how how, as a teenage girl, I was really confident. I was really right about stuff that I knew nothing about. And I love that I had strong opinions. And I think that that's great about teenagers now. I think they should have strong opinions and you should be confident. And I think sometimes as you get older, you shy away from that. And I wish that I had a little more of that. And the interviewer was like, well, I was confident and loud, but I was wrong about everything. And her response basically was like, I mean, yeah, there was definitely things that I wasn't right about. But in the moment, I knew that was right for me. And Mm -hmm. I was confident about that. You can
1: be confident and be wrong. Totally. Most people are. A
0: lot of people are. Yeah. And I like that it seems like she's very in tune with who she was as a teenager and doesn't want to shy away or, you know, hide that part of her because – this is a fictional movie, but there are a lot of autobiographical elements. Maggie Carey also grew up in Boise, Idaho. She also was a, a lifeguard in in the summer after her high school. She went to school around this time period. She was also like a really good student and played a lot of sports. Read and what you know. Yeah, she wrote what she knew. And then she embellished it for the... Emphasis of comedy, which I think is the best way to write comedy. Yeah, it's the,
1: the pro wrestling character, which is like the best characters are the person, but the vo- with the volume turned up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it's that's- basically that, and that works. Um, something I actually think is really interesting to think about, as far as like this being semi autobiographical, and from what I can tell about the nineties, what I recall is that this is pretty pretty faithful to my to my recollection. Mm-hmm. Is um, so yellow jackets. Yes. This is not a criticism of Yellow Jackets. It's merely a a statement that people make that the girls from the 90s portion of that show don't talk like how people talked in the 90s. And that is correct. However, when it comes to authenticity, that oftentimes doesn't make for good good TV, doesn't make for good movies. You have to like walk a fine line on being authentic, but also like making something digestible that actually hits correctly. Mm -hmm. Because if you had people saying things like, fucking bogus or whatever mm-hmm. in, like, a cannibal wood setting doesn't really hit right.
0: Right. It would sound weird.
1: Yeah. Like, I'm sure that they wouldn't in life or death situations be like, oh, man, these wolves are bogus. Right. But it's it's really, um, I think with a comedy you can get away with, you know, certain things that you can't with, like, a, a drama horror thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I just think it's really interesting to think about the way that we portray certain decades and how we have like selectively boiled them down to components and then modernized them. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of this being like no, it's it's very much based on writing that was done in the moment by someone of age.
0: Yes, I think that I think it's really smart, and I think that it comes across really well. There was another interview that I read that took place after the Austin Film Festival premiere of the movie. Um, when it was already done, where Aubrey Plaza sat either in front or behind Maggie Carey's like high school friends who came to see the movie. And I guess Aubrey like looked at her because there were so many moments where her friends like laughed their asses off because it was so specific to their coming of age experience. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh, that's why that joke stayed in there. Oh, that's why she does or says or is whatever this because that's what it was really like during mm-hmm. that time period. And I think that's why this movie feels so lived in, like you said earlier, because it is coming from a lived in place. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. And I also love that uh, it's
1: not set in the Midwest, but it is not set anywhere prominent.
0: Yeah, this isn't a coastal movie.
1: No, I, I thought it would. might maybe it was like Los Angeles, how like the sandlot, there's numerous scenes of fucking mountains in the background because it's Mm -hmm. filmed in Los Angeles, but they don't say where it is, but it's clearly, like, Los Angeles. Right. This one, is like, there's mountains. I just assume it's Los Angeles or at least somewhere in Southern California. It's not. Nope, it's Idaho. Those are different mountains. Yep. There are, in fact, different mountains that look like that in this country. It's just most movies are filmed conveniently near Los Angeles.
0: And I think the fact that it's in Idaho is also such a smart placement. One, because it it becomes more authentic to the writer-director's experience but also because the way that society and like teens and culture and whatever operate in a place outside of the coastal cities is very important because Mm -hmm. the experience is wildly different. Like – Nicolas Cage in Valley Girl, like going down like the Hollywood strip and like seeing all these different lifestyles and cultures, and whatever, you're not gonna get that in fucking Idaho. Nope. Like the same way you're not gonna get that in the Midwest. So there is a level of believability to like Brandy not knowing shit about shit oh, yeah. that She's I in really a appreciate. Sheltered
1: little suburb.
0: Yeah. Um, so going down the list of things that she does, a lot of it is with Cameron. And that's important because Cameron loves her. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learn that because she gives him a handy J in the movie theater while also getting yelled at by Darcy Carden, which rules. I love that she's just kind of there. Um, but she, she gives him a hand job. With butter. With movie theater <laughs> popcorn butter. Um, she also, this is the first time she ever sees uh, an uncircumcised penis because she was not expecting that. But again, a good sisterhood moment because she's jerking him off and she's like, what do I do with this? So the first thing she does is she calls her sister because her sister is sexually worldly and is like, what the fuck do I do with this? The only
1: thing she's smarter about.
0: Yes, and she loves it. She loves that she finally has an area of expertise over her sister, which I I just love that dynamic so much. Um, so yeah, she jerks off Cameron in the movie theater, and based on the sound effects, because we don't see what movie they're watching, it definitely sounds like they're watching like a G-rated movie um, because there's some like boyoyoing like cartoonish sound effects going on
1: amongst all of the the slurping and squelching.
0: Yes, it
1: is the noisiest hand job.
0: Yeah, it's a very he he does not know how to shut the fuck up.
1: No, he doesn't. In his defense. He's uncircumcised. It's extra sensitive.
0: This is true. This is very true. This movie does have a great scene with the daughters and mom talking about it, where mom basically is like, you know, you're actually denying them more pleasure. It's pretty awful. And I was Thank like...
1: Fuck you, Mr. Kellogg.
0: <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> and then dad comes down and it's like, is dad uncircumcised? And he's like, and I gotta go to work. Like, nope. Yep. I'm noping out of this conversation. Yes.
1: And also just because I don't want to leave any loose threads dangling. Uh, when I yelled at Kellogg's, it's because the guy who is responsible for that cereal is also responsible for popularizing circumcision in the United States for non-religious reasons. Yes. Because he was like, oh, it's cleaner and yeah, every man will do it. And then he'll go, I want my kid to be circumcised because I want their dick to look like mine. And it turns out he did it just to uh, make it less sensitive and cut down on masturbation because like a like a good Christian.
0: If people are weird. Right. It's so fucking weird. Just being
1: like, I need these babies to jerk it less <laughs> we're, we're gonna circumcise them all yeah and now much. it's the dominant penis in this country
0: yes this is true um so yeah she she jerks off camera in the movie theater and he yells out that he loves her
1: yes and turns out that is not just a moment of passion
0: he really means he it. really means
1: it However, there is some suspect of any b- thing that any dude says, according to every stand-up comedian I've ever heard, where they're like, I mean, I'll say I'll buy you a car, but as soon as that I'm done coming and whatever, then I go, well, I mean, maybe
0: not. Right. You I'm going to marry you.
1: Well, oh, maybe not. Yeah,
0: you got to have that post-nut
1: clarity. Yeah, classic uh, classic low-hanging fruit for male stand-ups.
0: Right. But yeah, no. so, so Cameron really does love her, um, and we find that out because for... For Brandy, like, this is all practical. Like, she she even says, like, it's homework for her. Mm-hmm. So she's not super invested in any of this, which we see when she's doing it. Like, there are some things that clearly feel good. Like, when Donald Glover goes down on her, she's like, oh, yeah, no, that that feels pretty good. Okay. And she's reacting accordingly. But whenever she's, like, doing things with a lot of these guys, she doesn't... She's not super into it. It's just like, I'm doing it to say that I've done it because I want to know that I've done it. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily doing it well. Right. Just saying, like, saying you've done it isn't the same thing as
1: doing it or enjoying it.
0: Right. Yeah. Which, I mean, is a, a major part of this movie once we get towards the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, um, she learns the difference. But, yeah, so she she blows off Cameron when he wants to invite her on a date because Cameron loves her. He's really invested in her and the fact that she's, like, doing sexual acts with him like, she's kind of leading him on without realizing that's what she's doing. Yeah. And so he's fucking heartbroken when she's like, yeah, no, this wasn't a thing. Like, I don't see you that way. Like, you're just my friend. Well,
1: he is su- he is such a friend that I the parents so are like, much. oh, that's a study buddy. Go wait in her room until she gets home.
0: Right. Like, oh. he is
1: so asexual and non-threatening that they're like, yeah, sure, why not? Go through our daughter's belongings.
0: Yeah, that's very much how the parents view him. And it is... God, Johnny Simmons is so fucking funny in this movie, like when he's heartbroken and is just like throwing himself on her bed like, he told you I loved you. Oh, What a sweet little angel. He's
1: he's so pathetic and adorable. I
0: love him so much. Um, But yeah, all throughout this, uh, there's kind of like the B plot, which is Aubrey Plaza taking a job at the pool as a lifeguard. And there's some, like, good gross-out comedy moments, like uh, they're hazing her a bunch, and someone shits in the pool, and she thinks that it's the Caddyshack joke. Nope. Nope, it's actual poop. Yep, she Um, she eats the poop. She eats the poop. Um, At one point, uh, there's a band in town led by Andy Samberg, and- In
1: an Eddie Vedder wig.
0: In an Eddie Vedder wig, and she blows him in the the pool showers. The pool showers,
1: and- he just dyed his hair, so he's, like, bleeding hair dye on her face. He's Rudy giuliani all over uh, the place. He's
0: melting. It's gross. It's so gross. But something that I do really like that this movie does, and they touch on it in a way that, like, is serious, but at the same time, like, not end-of-the-world serious, is that they do acknowledge, like, that this band came in, and, like, she's a teenager. Like, she just graduated high school, and her dad's a judge, and you're an adult, getting blown by her which is also really funny because Aubrey Plaza I think was like 29 when she
1: made this movie like she was speaking of this movie being a period piece everyone's way too old
0: everyone's way too old which is like very uh, it's a very grease approach to it but unlike dear evan hansen um everyone in this movie is is too old so, so it doesn't look
1: weird it doesn't
0: look weird like everybody it makes sense um so yeah she, <laughs> she blows handy Sandberg and bill Hader's like yelling like you should know better what the hell man like get out of here um, which I like I like that they acknowledge that of like yeah this girl is like doing something she doesn't fully understand like the severity behind because she's removed so much of like the emotional connection to it like it's become so like this is just a thing it doesn't matter mm-hmm. that like and I think that's a very important conversation to have. Well
1: like that's the, that, that's what we end up getting by the end of the movie is, mm-hmm. she's like, it's sex. It doesn't matter. But to Cameron, it does matter. And then she finds up, like, this middle ground of, like, well, sex doesn't matter, except when it does matter. So yes. it matters sometimes.
0: And that's exactly, like, that is the healthiest way to approach sex and sexuality. And it's so weird to me that between... Like, all of the debates that we have around, like, sex education and teens fucking and whatever, that we don't have the conversation of, like, sometimes sex matters a lot. Sometimes it can be really emotional and really important and meaningful. And sometimes you're just getting your rocks off. And, like, that's – they can both exist. And you can have sex be both things to you. Uh-huh.
1: Um, it just it – just- it just comes down to everyone needing to be on the same
0: page. It, communicate with your partner. You need to make
1: sure you have the same goals as the person you are fucking. Do you, do you want this to be more? Do you want this to be less? Mm-hmm. Make sure that you are honest about that crap. Otherwise, this is going to make your shit be a problem later.
0: Because we we even see that with the people she hooks up with, like with Donald Glover, for example, like because everybody finds out about Brandy's List and they all want to like either be on it or they think it's gross and slutty or whatever but like Donald Glover is like, my girlfriend dumped me because I suck dick at eating pussy, can I practice on you? I suck
1: dick at eating pussy. Which
0: is also a super bad reference of you don't want them to think you suck dick at fucking pussy. So like, you know. that's funny. Nice little companion jokes there.
2: Ah, you you cheat on me! No, cheat, come on, we're not even together. Yeah,
0: you're right we're not together because I'm breaking up with you. You
2: can't break up with me, we were never going out. Brandy,
0: you gave me a hand job.
2: Doesn't that mean anything to you? No, it's a hand job. I
1: told you that I love you.
2: You meant that? Brandy,
0: how could you do this to me? I worked with you, I studied with you, I fingered you. At any point you could have told me that you were just using me. I wonder if I'll ever be able to enjoy a hand job again. Cameron
2: don't say that
0: i'm probably gonna have a
2: dysfunction
0: so like in those instances like they want the same thing she wants to get something checked off of her list and he wants to practice and it's like cool you're on the same page i have i will fully admit this to the public at large i have absolutely done like weirdo sex acts with people that are like people i consider my friends who are like this is what I'm into. I literally can't find somebody who is into this. I really want to try it. Can we try this? I just want to experience this and I trust you. And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Fuck it. Who cares? Because we're both on the same fucking page about it. Mm-hmm. And like, that's fine. Yeah. And I also recognize that for some people, like they can't have sex in that way. And that's totally cool, too. It It, it is what you need it to be.
1: What's, what's that one sexuality? Was it sapiosexual?
0: Sapiosexual, yeah. The and, one where and demisexuals.
1: The one where you're like, oh, I can only have, you know, I'm attracted to your brain or I can only be sexually interested in someone that I have a bond with. And it's like, well, if that, if you acknowledge that that sexuality exists, you have to acknowledge that the inverse exists.
0: Correct. That's how, that's how things work. Yes, exactly. Like, if you are somebody who is, like, demisexual where, like, you do have to have that bond in order to have sexual attraction... There are people who do not require any bond to be sexually attracted to somebody. They can,
1: they can do both. They or can in do some neither. instances. Yes.
0: Like, I've had sex with people that I'm not sexually attracted to just because, like, sex feels good. It's basically like masturbation, but they can talk at me. Like, that's sweet.
1: They can, they can, they can say dirty talk.
0: My Hitachi magic wand cannot choke me out. Like I'm so sorry, it can't. Like um, that's a shame. It is a shame. It, once they figure that out, that'd be great. But also, like that's a lawsuit waiting to happen. So don't figure that out. I feel like that's the nightmare everyone has
1: about like some iRobot android <laughs> right? who's just gonna fucking like choke you out, <laughs> right? And be like, oh, this is this is this is how I die in the robot apocalypse.
0: And I mean, because the thing that she has with Rusty as well is like it is purely sexual. Like she thinks he's. Kind of cool, like, yeah, he plays he, guitar, he's, he's a hot. a conquest. He's a conquest, yes, Where it's exactly.
1: it's like, he's hot and I want to prove that I can nab the hot guy that every girl at the party was swooning over.
0: Exactly. Like, that,
1: that's what he is to her, because she's an overachiever. That's why he's the bottom of the list, because it's like, oh, once I do all this... There's only one thing left. He's mm-hmm. the final boss of high school fucking.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and the
1: thing I like about Rusty Waters is he's not a dick.
0: He's really in, not. In
1: most of these movies, this kind of guy is like, he's a sleaze bag, or he's like, you know, seems really nice, but when you meet him, he's actually an asshole, like whatever. And it's like, no, he's just a perfectly fine, plain kind of hot dude. He's he's not very interesting. He's not very deep. He's 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 fine.
0: And I think one of the lines that she has afterwards, when she has had sex with him, and like he's a two pump chump, which is gone in sixty seconds. Yes, perfect. Like it's exactly what you'd expect, and he gives all of the lines like, you know, you just got me really worked up, and it doesn't really happen. Like, give give me two minutes. Like, I I can do it again. And it's like, buddy, come on, Mm -hmm. let's be real here. But when she talks to him, she's like, "Do I regret having sex with you? No, you're hot, and this is going to be an awesome story to tell my friends in the future." Mm -hmm. Sometimes like that's fun like there's nothing wrong with that and she you know because this is a movie written by adults and played by adults it's a little bit more self-aware than any teenager would be in real life but that's why this all sex comedies are fantasy films
1: well yeah but that joke is funny though yeah it's a funny joke when you're 28 you will absolutely be like an adult who will recount stories of blowing a second-rate musician in a pool shower as he bleeds hair dye on your face. And he goes like,
0: hair right. Loudly
1: into the acoustics.
0: Right. Like, and I love how matter of fact it is. And when she is giving her big speech, she's like, I'm a teenager. I'm supposed to like, do this kind of stuff. I'm supposed mm-hmm. to experience, I'm supposed to do whatever. And I like how matter of fact it is. And I think that matter of factness and how frank this movie is about sexuality is probably why it turned off so many people and like freaked him out oh yeah um because another thing too is uh you know we have the masturbation scene which i love because <laughs> she's trying to make herself come and it's not working and she's like you're not a quitter brandy come on like <laughs> working really hard to make this happen she's
1: screaming like aloe vera <laughs> oh yeah yeah
0: um yeah she ends up humping the pillow which again like write a passage can't interfere it's a canon event
1: there's a lot of ways that you can discover how to masturbate and and some are easier some are 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 wrong Mm -hmm. like for me i used like a rag ow it was it was a soft rag but still, ow. Oh, I mean, it wasn't like, I wasn't giving myself like a rope burn.
0: Okay, that's what I was worried about. No,
1: no, it was delicate over a long period of time. Oh. So like, I had it all figured out. But it's like, that's not the best way. Like, the smart way would be like, you just use fucking lotion. Yeah. Why, why didn't I use lotion? I, I don't, don't know. know. <laughs> I was 14 and stupid and didn't know how to do this. But like, you you learn this way. For girls, it's like, I don't know, sit on the washing machine during the spin cycle. Sit on the that's washing a, that's machine. That's a classic I trump. mean,
0: the real one, It's it's the... It's the pulsating shower head. Shower heads and the water rushing out of the, the faucet. Like, that's that's yeah. the easiest stuff. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So it's like, there's a lot of ways to kind of figure out the feels of things, and mm-hmm. some are better than others. And then eventually you maybe scream a little bit too loud, and you go, oh, okay, I shouldn't do that when there are people home.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, Amber does walk in on her while she's, like, with a pillow. Yes. And makes fun of her. She's like, you humping a pillow? <laughs> Which I love. Again, matter of fact. I love how matter of fact this movie is. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie also isn't afraid to talk about the emotional complications that come with sex. Because, you know, for for Brandy, this list doesn't matter. So that means when she dry humps uh, Christopher Mintz-Plasse, McLovin, for those at home. Yes. Um, that is Still
1: still playing a high schooler six years later.
0: He plays a high schooler for a very
1: long time. Well, he, to be fair, he was especially young during Superman.
0: This is true. Because he was an actual high
1: schooler. Yes.
0: Um, but... You know, that is a guy that her friend had a crush on. And She's
1: she's like Duffy forever.
0: She's really upset about it because she's like, what the fuck, man? Like, I like that guy. And she's like, you weren't dating, though. And I'm confused now. And she's like, but you should have known better. That's not okay. And then she even tries to say... Well, Fiona, you wanted to date, you know, Cameron, and she's like, "Yeah, but I asked you first. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't just assume."
2: And Pose like, was th- before
0: Bros. That's a very important conversation to have as well. Um, and I like that this movie does that. Like, there, this movie is really quick in its runtime and tackles so many really complex issues very effortlessly and very again matter of fact like I mean it's
1: I think almost it's so casual about it that people don't realize it because it's just like slid in like a line or two or just like one interaction it's like cool we're moving on to the next thing
0: Because so it's, it's just th-
1: it's there but they don't dwell on it
0: Well, yeah. And like in a lesser hand, a lot of the conversations in this movie would be presented like very special episodes or after school special type Mm -hmm. episodes. Or it'd be extremely dramatized over like a three episode arc on Degrassi. And this movie's like, no, we're just dealing with it now and moving on. And I like that a lot. I find it very refreshing. Worst
1: case scenario, I think that you don't realize how much it affected you until years later. But at the time, you're just like, I don't know. It's just a thing I did. Um, I think also that... The way that it's so subtle or doesn't dwell on it, it has also made it so that people don't realize quite how smart this movie is about it. Yes. It's too subtle for a sex comedy.
0: Mm -hmm. So I actually wrote about this film for Slash Film about a year ago when we were still doing the Daily Stream R.I.P. I miss that so much. But one of the things that I noticed in doing some research about this is that the to-do list received mixed reviews. Some found the film too filthy, Others found it too safe. Some believe the film made sex seem too important, while others found it trivializing the activity. But everyone seemingly agrees that Aubrey Plaza delivers a fantastic performance, which she does, and it deserves to be celebrated. The to-do list serves as somewhat of a litmus test for the viewer, where your own personal feelings about sex, namely women's pursuit of sex, will determine how you feel about the movie. The film is filled with all of the usual gags of gross out, awkward cringe and spontaneous moments of heart that we see in teen boy sex comedies, but is shown through the perspective of someone who hasn't been socially encouraged to want sex their entire life. And that, I think, is another reason why this movie is so important, because... There's like a cultural understanding whenever we have these teen boy sex comedies of like, of course this boy wants to lose his virginity by prom. That's just a matter of fact.
1: That's just a thing that we're told is the thing.
0: Right. And the fact that this is not about that, the fact that this is about a woman is immediately going to be polarizing because Mm -hmm. people have their own opinions about it. The existence of women in general and women's sexuality is consistently politicized. And I don't think people know what to make of it because if you are a woman watching this, you want her to be reflective of your own experience. And if she's not, then you don't like it because we live in a misogynist society and we all have internalized misogyny to unpack. Um, And I don't know. There's also something about this that I find really fascinating through a 2023 lens because I also think 2013 was just not ready for this movie the way that people are now.
1: I think it's both too late and too early.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I
1: agree. I think this could have done better if it came out sooner, before we had an understanding of what, like, uh, a millennium sex comedy looks like Mm -hmm. in in this era. And then start to make judgments on, well, it doesn't go far enough, or it goes too far, Mm -hmm. you know, because we're comparing it to other things. Mm -hmm. If it had came out maybe in, like, 2008, when there's fewer things to compare it to, I think that that would be more, uh, people would judge a little bit more on its own. They would give this movie and this character their autonomy mm-hmm. because I, I think when you try to influence a character to be like, well, this isn't my experience or this, I want this to be a reflection of me or my coming of age. You are then removing the thing about the character that makes them a character. Right. And their mistakes and their journey is the most interesting thing because we mentioned at the start of the episode that, She's really, really unpleasant. She is unlikable, and it makes a weird first impression for this movie. Mm-hmm. But by the end, it's like, oh no, Like, I, I love this. Mm-hmm. I, I love where she has gone. I love what she has learned. I also just love Aubrey Plaza's delivery of every line, because she has such a unique way of delivering anything that no one else can
0: do. Yeah, every line delivery in this movie is the right one from all of the characters across the board, because this is... Yes, an Aubrey Plaza vehicle, but it is also a comedic ensemble. Oh, yeah. Um, Everybody is hilarious. They all have great material. Like, I don't feel any of the characters are wasted. Like, there are some that I would love to see more, but the time that we do have with them, I think, is well spent. Sure. Which I really, really, really like. Um, And this movie is really raunchy. And, like, the thing I was thinking about is, like, I don't think this movie goes too far. It's, like, we watch her jerk off Cameron and then like look at the cum in her hands between her fingers like it's a spider web. Mm -hmm. Um, We see her spit Andy Samberg's spunk out onto the bathroom floor after Bill Hader is yelling at her and being like, open your mouth, what were you doing? And like Mm -hmm. she spits. Um, And then there's a great swallow joke is like, what would you have done if I wasn't here? (laughs) Probably swallowed. Incredible joke. Um, Well, I think also the the, the problem is people are
1: conditioned to – expect raunchiness from a sex comedy because though it's a genre predominantly ruled by men. We'll say 95%, and that might be underselling it a little bit, of sex comedies are dominated, by like teen boy, college boy bullshit. Mm-hmm. And this is a thing that I talked about on American Hysteria when we talked about Jackass is that you can't do the same things with men that you do with women on screen because her doing something raunchy and filthy, maybe like spitting her looking at cum, whatever. You have to be really, really delicate about doing that because it's not then, oh, hey, look at this clown. Look at, you know, Jason Biggs fucking a pie or something. Look at the Revenge of the Nerds goofiness of whatever it is. You're not laughing at them the same way. It now crosses into a territory where it's like you're laughing at her, but also it becomes fetish content. Right. So you are sexualizing her in her weird misunderstandings and failures and that becomes complicated and gross,
0: right? Jason Biggs fucking a pie in American Pie is a joke. A girl doing the same thing becomes cake farts, like yes, like it be, it, there's a porn category for it. Yes,
1: like there, you you need to be really delicate about how you handle this. Not because I don't think women can do it, but it will. It's a matter of how it will be
0: digested. Exactly, one hundred percent. Thank you so much for saying that because. Like, this movie ends with her getting it in the ass. Like, she gets... Never in the back door. (laughs) Like, she gets fucked from behind by Cameron in college, and... (laughs)
1: Apparently, that's how she comes.
0: Yeah, yeah. she has her first orgasm from getting fucked in the ass, and her dad walks in, which is really funny, because Mm -hmm. no back door. Yep. Um, But, like, so this movie goes really far, but I think when people say it doesn't go far enough, what they mean is that, like, we never see Aubrey Plaza naked. Mm -hmm. We never see... Like, the closest thing that we get to, like seeing anybody really, really naked. Like, she does get on top of Rusty Waters, but she still has a bra on. And, and then there's the, the part seeing, where her
1: bathing suit falls off. Yes. Very the part, classic 80s su- move. Her
0: bathing suit falls off, so you've got that. And then there is the unbelievably hilarious visual of Bill Hader fucking Rachel Bilson. And then, like, Dad enters the room, and he picks Rachel Bilson up, because she's so much smaller than him, yeah, too. Yeah, she's,
1: like, 5'1". Bill Hader's, like, 6'2".
0: Yes. And he, she he's still... In her, and he's just like holding her, and then trying to shake Dad's hand at the same time. That visual is hilarious.
1: Like get was what's his line? Uh, get out of my house and get out of my daughter.
0: Yes, and like <laughs> we watch him like pull himself out of her, but we don't see any of it. We just know that yeah, that's what's covered, happening. Covered in
1: blankets. But yeah.
0: Oh god, it's so funny. But like, on that note, a very important thing that was learned recently is that uh, it, a couple years after this movie. Bill Hader and Rachel Bilson did date for a period of time, mm-hmm. and Rachel Bilson has gone on record, speaking on podcasts, to saying that the first time she ever had an orgasm was because of Bill Hader.
1: No, I don't think she said it was him. I think she said the date and internet sleuth put yeah, the pieces it together and figured out that it was Bill Hader. Yes,
0: I think that's what it was. You're right. Um, but it's that makes that scene like in some like really different context- so rewatching that scene with that context that I obviously did not have the you know first couple times I've seen this movie you, you can see the way that Bill Hader like holds her in that and like how his hands are placed and I'm like oh yeah you
1: he knows what he's doing you
0: know what you're doing man like yeah. I, I can see that it's like oh okay even him. though like it's simulated it's not it's not real but it's just like oh no Bill knows what he's doing okay mm-hmm. good for you man yeah <laughs> Which I think is just funny. It's just endlessly funny to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Bill
1: Hader in this whole movie is honestly really good. He like, is really good. Because we haven't talked about him and he's like arguably the second most important character in the movie. Yeah. Um, Bill, Bill Hader being a, a little bit more of an involved character versus uh, his, his summer mentorship thing that he does in like Adventureland. Yeah. That one's more hands off. This one's much more direct because mm-hmm. he's the manager of the pool.
0: Yeah, Man. even though he can't swim, yeah, and so Brandy has to teach him how to swim all summer. So they yeah. have like a, 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 they they may have a friendship.
1: Yeah, I would say he gives like big brother energy, especially because he becomes uh, protective of her.
0: Yes, he does. He becomes very protective of her. Um, he also recognizes that like she's very very intelligent, but she doesn't have street smarts. Mm-hmm. So he's trying to also serve as kind of like that figure for her of like. Big Brother energy is very, very true because, like, she's wiling out and doing crazy stuff, but he's, like, not going to narc on her. Sure. Which I think is really, really important. And the only time that he does when he's like, oh, I should probably do something about that, he doesn't end up doing anything anyway because he gets distracted by
1: Amber. He he fucks her sister. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, she might be in trouble, but you apparently want to have sex with somebody because... You're now ex-fiance. Fuck
0: some strippers in Vegas. Chippy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The fact that his name is Chip is really funny and the constant like, <laughs> Chippy cheated on me. Yeah. Like it's just perfect comedy or Rachel Bilson looking at him. You got a dick under that poncho. Incredible. <laughs> just incredible.
1: Yeah. But like even thinking about it in that context, like it's a matter of what does sex mean where Brandy asks him like, oh, are you going to start dating my sister now? And he's like, Nah, I think that was a one-time thing. Cause she just really wanted to get laid or whatever. Cause this fucking dude. And I don't know. Sex means different things for different people. It's uh, it's. Cameron has a very high school way of approaching things, where it's like we held hands. That means we're boyfriend girlfriend now.
0: Right. Like it's, that. It's so sweet. He immediately
1: jumps over some steps and ends up somewhere that he shouldn't be, in a way that is really unrealistic but innocent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't I don't know. like you in high school when you go on one date, it means like your boyfriend girlfriend now right. and they they even use terms like like like
0: yeah. It's I like, didn't oh, know you like like, like him? me yeah, <laughs> yeah, so it's
1: it's very uh it's crossing that threshold of like maybe freshman year versus senior year in terms of understanding sex
0: and when Brandy and Cameron do reunite at college, he tells her, like, I lost my virginity. and <laughs> it's pretty much implied that like the woman was very much like, in charge of the Uh situation and he lost his virginity on like a bathroom floor at a college party so like not romantic not special most
1: people don't lose their virginity in romantic ways no
0: um but they just they just do it and he's like i get what you meant now like it can matter but it doesn't have to and that's cool sometimes it's just sex some people want that first one to matter like their dad
1: wants it to be like on their wedding night i'm your first whatever and other people like Get the fucking first one out of the way easy. Right. Like their approach is like how I am, was with tattoos where I'm like, well, I want the first tattoo to mean something and then I want all the other ones to be dumb as hell.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think that, that it's just very important to understand like what does sex mean for you and what do you want? Because if you do want to wait until marriage, there's no shame in that. Do do what is good for you. Yeah. Like This
1: whole movie is basically just like do what you want with sex. View it how you want. It's really not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. You, you don't need to push it on anybody else. It doesn't have to be one thing. Mm-hmm. It's, pr- it's pretty easy in how open it is. Yeah,
0: it's your own relationship with sex. And the the only thing that's, like, frustrating, and this is not the movie's fault by any stretch of the imagination, this is a reflection of society, but this movie becomes subversive because of it. And it shouldn't be. Like, this should not be a subversive sex comedy. This should just be a sex comedy. But because of the world that we live in, it is inherently subversive in nature. Mm-hmm. And, you it's know, subversive just because it's smart. Because it's so fucking smart. It's clever and it's fun and it's funny. And, like, yeah, some of the language is dated. Sure, we yep. know that. That's kind of to be expected. It's
1: dated for 2013, but it's era appropriate for, for the 90s. Right, right.
0: Yeah. But, like, if if you're if you allow yourself to not get hung up on superficial stuff like that and instead let yourself learn from what this movie is saying this is such a fucking good sex comedy and i hope that with everything that's kind of happening right now with this resurgence of studio sex comedies that it will inspire people to seek this out or you know come across it or what have you um i want more people to be talking about this movie because it's really really good and I can't believe that Maggie Carey has not made another feature. What the absolute fuck? Because
1: <laughs> this movie just didn't make money. It, it so set stupid. her up for failure. Like she's, And it's she's, not the movie's fault, even.
0: Like, this is such a genius script. Like, it's so good. And I hope, I don't know, if anyone out there listening knows Maggie Carey or in any way crosses paths with her, please let her know that she's fucking brilliant. Like, please tell her. Someone tell Maggie Carey she's brilliant And I would give anything to see another Maggie Carey movie, because she's great. I know
1: our podcast has a little bit of reach, because somehow it got back to Jason Biggs that I really like Loser, and uh, (laughs) he was really stoked about it and messaged me one time. So, like, I'm not going to say this is impossible. Right.
0: We have dreams, and our dream is to just let Maggie Carey know that we love her. Like, that is our dream. I just
1: want people whose stuff is underappreciated to know that their stuff is way better than people treated it.
0: I feel like we should just make a list at some point of like the things that we really want. And like at the top of the list for me is like letting Maggie Carey know that I think she's great. And then I feel like also at the top of that list is letting Michael Rosenbaum know that he gave a really wonderful performance in Sorority Boys that's really affirming to trans people. We like will, I, <laughs> those are the things I want.
1: We will have that opportunity one day.
0: One day. One fucking day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that we are kind of coming to a natural conclusion here on the to-do list. So, Harmony, the to-do list is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying her ticket so she can go on her own?
1: No, this is this is a yes. I, I think in this new era of, like, joyride and no hard feelings and even even shit like like bodies 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 mm-hmm. like there's 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 a lot of oh
0: bottoms is coming out later this year which I've seen and you haven't seen yeah that is also going to be one you want on your radar
1: yeah i think that there is going to be a really big and cool shift for how we handle like messy girls and sexuality and sex humor through like a teenage lens i think that there's a lot of i, I it feel it feels like in this moment of July 2023 that we're on the precipice of some really really cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that this is the time for this movie to be reappreciated. Mhm. Especially cuz like Aubrey Plaza is obviously a much bigger star now than she was then. So mm-hmm. this is just going to be one of those fun little deep cuts that ever, that slid under the radar where it's like, "No, but like did you know about her her first real starring role?
0: Her her big mainstream leading vehicle?" Mhm. Awesome. Well, thank you again for listening. As always, you can follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at The Sunset Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Blue Sky, and I guess threads at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on
1: Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velocitraptor, underscore trap underscore tour. And I also have Blue Sky now, but they don't allow underscores there. So now I'm just like Colangelo over there. I have a professional handle, I guess.
0: I know. Look at you using your name. Uh, what is that? Eh,
1: <laughs> I mean, I, was, I never thought I would be using Twitter or Instagram for anything important. I was like, oh, pick a dumb name because I'm never going to use this shit. And now here we are.
0: I mean, you could also
1: always change it to your name. Yeah, but then I've got like... 150 back episodes where they're going to be wrong then.
0: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, humongous thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use "Title" as our theme song. Harmony, what band do you want people to check out this week inspired by the to-do list?
1: So I wanted something that was era appropriate and like a little filthy and fun. And since there's a lot of good hip hop on this soundtrack, we went in that direction. I'm shouting out the duo of Fly on a Boss...
0: Hell yeah. If you're on TikTok, I promise you, you know who this is.
1: Yes, they're, uh, they're two fun young ladies who run at the camera a lot. They run through, like, busy streets and theme parks and sing the lyrics to their songs. And I just think that they, like, are real cool. I think that they're uh, very fun. They, they also did, like, a, a really sweet video where they were running down the street screaming about how much they love Missy Elliott for her birthday. Um, so they've been kind of going viral for, like, the last month or so. And they've been putting out music, like, a little bit here and there for years now. Um, no full albums, but, like, a lot of singles. And I was having BJ listen to them on the ride home from, like, the theater last night, and... Yeah, all of them are good. Every single one of their songs are super good.
0: Yeah, they're great. They describe themselves as we- weird girl rap, which I love that as yeah. an expression. They're like best friend rap. Yeah, they're great. And they're from like Detroit and Dallas. They're just really, really cool. Uh, they're both classically trained musicians, which is a thing a lot of people don't know. Oh, well, that's um, they that. Yeah,
1: they're I don't just, know a ton about them. I've only listened to their music. I'm very mu- I'm much, what you see is
0: what you get. You know, yeah, they're, they're really rad. I fell down a rabbit hole about them like a couple weeks ago because that's just what I do. Yeah, yeah, so they're awesome. Check them out. Cool. Alrighty. Well, that takes us out. We will see you next week with something uh, decidedly less sexy, but still a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening. Save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye.
2: Scam on other guys and then hook up with Rusty. Mm-hmm. No offense, but how? You said yourself he's out of your league. I never said that. I did. Okay. Yes. He's out of my league now, but not once I learn how to pearl necklace him. Huh. It actually, sounds really elegant. It's not.
1: This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.